Praise God. All right, stand up. Stay, stay right where you're at. Uh, I need to do a Facebook status update. <laughs> Let me get your lovely picture here. Get this crowd over here. My camera does panoramic. I haven't learned how to do it yet. One more. Oh, great. Okay, now you may be seated. I am uh, incredibly... Uh, honored and blessed to be here. I had a wonderful time yesterday and was honored to be able to speak at the uh, graduation uh, last yesterday. It was such an incredible blessing. Um, Walker and Haley have meant so much to my wife and I over the years. Um, uh, and I, am, I can't tell you how excited, blessed, and thrilled I am with what the Lord has done with them here in Zambia. And, uh, you know, I'm honored that he, he recognizes me as a spiritual father in his life, but I am even deeply honored and blessed that uh, as a son, he has accomplished so much. And uh, he has not only been part of our family, he's become, he is a wonderful friend and has been for many, many years. And I am just blessed every time we get together and I, I get to see what's happening in your land and I hear the reports of what's happening and it just blesses my socks off. And, uh, and it's exciting. Our, our kids are, <clears throat> you know, close to the same age and we're, they're, they're getting ready to go through or, or halfway there, the empty nest syndrome. My, my one son has graduated from college and, and he is trying to become a pro tennis player. So he's busy working uh, to make that. And then my youngest son has gone to college. And, and so, um, and then of course I'm always gone. And, uh, but uh, God's been good to us and we've been blessed to have incredible friends. And Steve and Cindy also worked for us for many years. And, and it was good to see them this week while we're here. But uh, I'm, I'm incredibly blessed, and it's, an, it's exciting to see what Walker and Haley have done. And, and, and I know this is just the beginning. It'll be, ex- it'll be exciting in another five to ten years to see how the impact this church has had on this nation as well as the surrounding nations. I'm really excited. And I, I, I think one day, uh, you know, I'll come back and the graduating class won't be 79, it'll be 790. And uh, it'll just keep growing, and, and it'll be awesome. So I'm happy to be here. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, would you open them with me to 1 John, the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 19. 1 John, chapter 4, verse 19. It is a short verse. It's, incredibly, it's an incredibly powerful verse. And it says and reveals so much about God himself and our relationship with God. And John was known or nicknamed kind of the Apostle Love because he wrote a, a lot about the love of God and, and, and spoke a lot about the love of God. I think John had even greater insight and understanding to the love of God than, than Paul did. Paul had incredible understanding and insight into the grace of God and who we were in Christ. But it seems to me, in my opinion, John had an a, a, a incredible insight and understanding of the heart of God and, and the relationship that God desired with us. But in 1 John 4, verse 19, it says, We love Him, referring to God. We love God because He, God, loved us first. We love Him, God, because God loved us first. So the reason that we love God is because God loved us first. But oftentimes, you know, in, in, in people's communication of the gospel and their preaching, you know, you'll hear people say, Well, you know what your problem is? You need to just love God. You need to love God. As if... Each of us have some kind of a switch on the inside of us that we could just switch on and automatically love God. Like, it's just that easy. But it isn't. That's not how love works. That's, that's not how love works in your life. And if you're married, it didn't work that way either. Love is a product of a relationship that you grow into, and it's a product of understanding the person that loves you, that you can trust them and be vulnerable with them and open your heart and, 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 and be in a place that's safe with them. Amen? So to tell somebody that the, their problem is that they need to love God, I've I got to be honest with you, that's not the gospel. That's not what the gospel's about. The gospel is about them understanding that God loves them. That God loves them and that God loved them first. 
You know, whether you realize it or not, God committed two things to you before you were born, before your parents were born, before their parents and their parents and their parents and their parents. All the way back at the cross, it was a demonstration of God's unconditional love. And God committed to love you way before you were ever born. And not only did he commit to love you before you were ever born, he also committed to forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future, before you ever committed one. Amen? See, the Old Testament saints, their sins were in the past when the cross took place. But the cross took, took care of those sins. Because in the Old Covenant, the, the Old Covenant didn't forgive sins or didn't take them away. The blood of lambs and bulls were used just to cover sin. Sin was just covered. It was, not, it was still there, but it was just covered. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, There's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So when Jesus came, Jesus' blood didn't cover our sin. Jesus' blood took our sin away. Hallelujah. It's one thing when it's covered, and in, under the old covenant, they had to be covered again every year, every year, every year, because that was the, the, the result of blood of the bulls and goats. But Jesus' blood took them away and gave us forgiveness. And so you were forgiven before you were, before you were ever born and before you ever even committed a sin. You were forgiven. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? And so this passage, John is trying to tell us, look, here's how love works. It's not about you loving God and being good enough so that God can love you. It's about you understanding that God loved you first. And that when you understand and believe and trust in the one that loves you first, the end result will be that you'll love him. And that's what John says. John says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. He didn't love you because of how good you were or how holy you thought you could be or all your works or all the wonderful things. God didn't love you based on anything that you did. God loved you based on who He is to you. Amen? You know, the story of the prodigal son is one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. But the heart of the story is this, that God loves us at our very worst. And that's what Jesus was trying to communicate. That God loves you at your very worst. But the problem that we have as Christians and believers is we struggle to know, believe, experience, and walk in the reality of that because all of our life we heard love based on performance. When you were young, you know, your parents would tell you, well, if you love me, you wouldn't do that. When you got a job... Your boss would tell you, I love it when you do that. Sometimes a, a man will put pressure on a woman to have sex before marriage, and he will say to her, if you love me, you will do this. And so all of our life, we hear love based on performance, that we have to work for it, we have to earn it. There's something that we have to do to find it and to be accepted. Then God comes into our life, and the gospel reveals the heart of God, the love that God has for us is unconditional. And Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. And you see Jesus loving people and bringing people into the experience of the heart of God, which is mercy and compassion. And these are people that had issues and problems and shortcomings and struggles and failures and, and were mess-ups. But he loved them just the way they were. But the beautiful thing about God's love is it doesn't leave you the way it found you. It changes you. It impacts your heart. Amen? And so we, you know, if you get saved and you begin to believe the gospel and trust in Jesus, but here's the problem. We forget that God loved us unconditionally. As Paul said in Romans 5, God commanded his love towards us while we were still sinners. Still sinners. And then we start thinking of the old way that love is based on performance. And we fall into that religious trap where we start trying to do things to convince God that He can love me and He can bless me and He can accept me because of what I've done and we've taken our eyes off of what Jesus did for us. And so the focus becomes what I do, not what He did for me. Does that make sense? 
You know, and I went through that. I mean, I think most Christians in a time in their life, they go through that struggle. You know, I remember when I was, you know, I got saved and I was excited. And man, when I got saved, my heart was so full of the joy of the Lord. I mean, I could not stop smiling. And see, I, I, I was a wicked individual. I was a womanizer. I was a drunk. I did drugs. I did all kinds of things. So my friends, when they saw me walking around at work smiling, they thought I was high. So they'd come up, you know, hey, you on something? I said, you bet I am. They said, it, it must be good. I said, oh, it's wonderful. They said, can we have some? I said, oh, you bet you can. And they said, so what's it cost? I said, it's free. I end up getting a lot of my druggy friends saved. But the joy of the Lord was so incredibly strong in my heart and my life. I remember one time going into the, the men's toilet and telling God, can you turn it down a little bit? Because I thought my heart was going to explode. I just thought, I'm going to just die of joy. I'm going to just, just keel over, you know, a big smile on my face. What happened? Joy killed him. I was so excited, so high. But you know, like most believers, you know, somewhere down the line, it could happen a few weeks after you get saved, a few months, you know, <laughs> you know or, or a few years. But, but it happens to a lot of us. And we wake up that one morning, and all of a sudden, we just don't feel the love of God. It's like, it's gone. I mean, it's, it's gone. What, what happened? You know, and, I, and I, I had that happen to me. And I, I thought, Lord, you know, what did I do? You know, God, I want that loving feeling back. There's an old Righteous Brothers song that says, lost that loving feeling. And that's exactly, it must have been about me. Because I lost that loving feeling. And I, and, and I didn't know what, what was wrong. And I didn't know why I lost it. I, I didn't know what did I do. Did, did I anger God? You know, has God left me? You know, what, what has happened? You know, what, what did I do? And, and I was confused. You know, I was a young believer. I, I didn't know a whole lot. And, and I asked people, you know. And, and somebody would say, well, you know, how much time are you spending in prayer? I thought, well... Maybe I'm not praying enough. So, you know, I just started praying and praying and praying because I figured maybe, you know, if I pray enough, then, then God will love me again. And, you know, while I had some times and experiences in prayer, nothing really changed. And, and I asked somebody else, I, I told them what my problem was, and, and they said, well, well, are you paying your tithes? Are you giving well, you know what? I, I didn't know, but you know what I did? And then my wife can tell you this is true. I went and got a bank loan for $2,000 and I gave it to the church. Because I just, I, and I gave, gave everything. I figured if God wants money, I'll give him money. I did that. No, I'm serious. Because I figured if I owed him something, I better pay him back. Because that's how great that feeling of love was. I, I, I mean, you know, if I've got to give him money to get, get that feeling back, that's what I'll do. And you know what? Nothing changed except I was poor. <laughs> then somebody said, well, you know, are you witnessing enough? Well, you know, if I'm not witnessing enough, you know, then I went out and I, be, I became a bigger pest and annoy, annoyance than I was before. Because I figure if it's just about witnessing and then I can tell people Jesus and, and, and get that feeling back, you know, I'll do that too. But nothing changed. One day I went to an older Christian in our church. He was an older man. And, and I asked him, I said, you know, you've been saved for 60 years, you know. Maybe you know what's happened to me. I've, I've lost that loving feeling. I don't know. And I'll never forget. He looked at me and says, yeah, I know. I was waiting for this to happen. I said, you were? And he says, yeah, it happens to everybody. See, you need to understand, Brother Ed, love's not a feeling, it's a decision. I thought, oh, happy day. You mean I'm not going to feel the love of God anymore? He says, probably not. He said, you need to understand, when you were a baby Christian, God had you under a bubble of His grace. And that's why your prayers got answered so quickly. And that's why miracles and things happened so easily because God had you under a bubble of His grace. But you see, Brother Ed, God has taken the bubble away now and He wants you to grow up. 
Oh, I was not happy. I thought, no, I don't want to live the rest of my Christian life like this. I like being a bubble boy. I mean, where's the bubble? Bring the bubble back. I want to be back under the bubble. It's better under the bubble. And if I couldn't find my bubble, I was going to find someone else's bubble and crawl under. Because it's better that way. Well, let me tell you something. I began to realize over time that all of those answers people gave me were wrong. It had nothing to do with what I needed to do. Matter of fact, in, in Revelations, Jesus speaks to a church and he says, here's what I have against you. I've seen your good works, but I need you to return to your first love. You know, I've heard that preached from a lot of different preachers. And most of the time it's preached wrong. Because people hear it and they feel guilty and they, just like me, they, they've lost that loving feeling. And so they make some kind of commitment. They say, God, I promise, I promise, I'm going to witness, I'm going to pray more, I'm not going to miss church, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And what they're trying to do is do everything they think they need to do so God can love them again. But Jesus said, I've seen your good works. He didn't say it wasn't enough, you needed to double up. He said, I need you to return to your first love. What Jesus was saying is, you forgot how this whole thing started. This whole thing started with me loving you first. It isn't about you loving me. It's about me loving you first. And the reason you can love me is because you let me love you. Because it's my love that gives you the ability to love me. Because your love will never come up to my ability, but it's my love. See, Peter found this out the hard way. You know, Peter asked Jesus one day, how many times must I forgive my brother if he sinned against me? And, and, and Peter said seven. Now, I don't know how he came up with seven. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. You know, I don't know. Um, uh, there was a Jewish tradition of three. You know, he doubled it, added one, thinking that that would impress Jesus. Like Jesus would go, whoa, Peter. Seven times I am, I am amazed. Wow, that's a lot. You know, I, I just might leave you in charge when I go. Some people actually think that's what happened. And so, but Jesus shocked Peter by saying, no, not seven times, but seven times 70. That's 490 plus times a day. I can tell you right now, you've never had anybody in your life sin against you 490 times a day. Now, seven times isn't bad. I know spirit-filled, tongue-talking believers who couldn't forgive somebody seven times in a day. But I do know Christ, I know, I know, I know people that are not saved that are nicer by nature than some Christians are by grace. Now, when I get to heaven, I'm going to go to the video store and I'm going to check out the video because I know I want to see Peter's face when Jesus said no seven times seventy because I know his knees buckled, his jaw dropped because his next question was, uh, well. Uh, you're going to have to increase my faith. What he was saying to Jesus is, eh, there ain't no way. There is no way. I mean, it's, it's, it's enough for me to just come up with seven times. Now, seven times 70 you want me to forget. And so you have to understand the dynamic at the time. Because James and John were nicknamed the sons of thunder. Well, you don't get a nickname like that unless you're really loud and argumentative. And they were loud in argument. And there was a time when they were all fussing and arguing amongst themselves on who's going to sit at Jesus' right hand. And the discussion got so heated and involved that these guys even got their mamas involved. Now you know it's serious when you get mama involved. Because mama got involved. And so I'm sure when Peter said to Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother? He's probably looking over his shoulder going to Jesus. How many times do I have to forgive these Guys, and he didn't like the answer. But here's what Jesus was saying to him. In your natural human ability, you're not going to be able to walk in divine forgiveness towards others. And he couldn't. But you know what? This was the same Peter who boldly told Jesus, I will never deny you. And Jesus said, yeah, you will. You're going to deny me three times. And before the cock crows... And he did. And Jesus loved him even though he denied him. See, Peter began to experience this kind of seven times 70 forgiveness. And the reason we can forgive people is because we understand we've been forgiven in the same way. 
See, God's not a hypocrite. God's not going to ask you to forgive somebody seven times 70 and not forgive you in the same way. And the reason we can forgive seven times 70 is because that's exactly how God forgives us and has forgiven us. So we walk in this forgiveness that we are able to give to others. Amen? See, if you don't understand the forgiveness of God for yourself and you don't embrace it and receive it and walk in the reality of it, then it'll be tough for you to forgive other people because you're struggling to forgive yourself. You know, the gospel is not about our past. The gospel is about our future. The prodigal son came home and the father ran out and hugged him and kissed him. And when the, when the prodigal pushed away and said, no, you can't treat me like this. I've sinned against the God we believe in and I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be a son. The father hugged him and embraced him. And basically he was saying, this is not your decision to make. I'm the father. I got plenty of servants. I don't want more servants. I want sons. I want daughters. I want children. And it's my decision. It's not yours. And I don't care what, what's happened in your past. Here's what I'm concerned about. Your future. And that is with me. And he brought him into the house. And he had an incredible party for him. I mean, I mean they, everybody got the day off. And everybody was celebrating and singing and dancing. And, and they killed the fatted calf. It was an awesome party. And the prodigal sat there. Looking at the celebration and glancing at his father and seeing how happy and filled the joy his father was. And all he had to do to give his father that kind of joy was come home and let his father love him. Let his father love him. That's all he had to do. That's why Jesus, when he told those stories about the lost sheep and lost coin, he said, when one sinner repents, all heaven rejoices. When you repent, do you know heaven rejoices? You know why? Because heaven already knows how good, loving, kind, and forgiving God is. They live in the midst of it. They know it. But they get so excited when just one person here believes it. And when one person here believes it, all heaven rejoices about it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When I was a missionary here in 1990, uh, started in 1984, but in 1990, the Lord spoke to me and said, son, I want you to study about my love. And I have to be honest with you, I wasn't real happy about that. I had failed third grade when I was in elementary school. And if you've ever been held back a grade, you're, you know how cruel children can be. And so my friends went on to fourth grade, and of course I was called the dummy and stupid and teased and ridiculed and maligned and all of that. And, and I had a lot of negative emotions about that. And so when God spoke to me and said, son, I want you to study about my love, I, I, I have to be honest with you, a lot of those negative emotions came back up because I had graduated from Rhema Bible Training Center in Dulce, Oklahoma. I'd been a successful missionary and I was preaching to large crowds and I thought I knew and understood the love of God. And when God said, I want you to study about my love, I, 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 I was kind of disappointed. I, I thought, well, did I miss it? Have I failed again? You know, I, I think I know this. I understand John 3.16. And I was, you know, all my friends are getting exciting subjects. You know, the anointing and miracles and prosperity in the name of Jesus. And I got stuck with love. And there's an old television show in the United States called Father Knows Best. And I just thought to myself, okay, Father, you know best. Uh, if you want me to study about your love, I'll study about your love. And so I, I went to my library, and in my library I have hundreds and hundreds of books like a lot of ministers do, and, and a few that I've actually read. And so I thought, let me see what other men of God have written on the subject of the love of God and glean and learn from them. And this was my first revelation. As I went through all those books, I only found four books that even touched on the subject of God's love. And, and there, I had no book on the subject of God's love all by itself. I, I had just maybe a chapter or so where somebody had written on it. And I began to realize, wait a second, something's wrong here. Because Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, the last verse says, Abide, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these three is love. And I had lots of books on faith, and I had lots of books on hope, but I had nothing on love. And right away I recognized spiritually I was out of balance. 
I had majored on what God said to minor on, and I had minored on what God said to major on. And so I realized I was, I, I was out of balance. And I just repented. I said, Lord, I, I'm, I'm seeing something here now. I'm recognizing something. And I later realized even the books that, where they had written about the love of God, they had it wrong because they put emphasis on us walking in love. But in the Greek, when it says walk in love, it actually says walk in the love that God has for you. That the New Testament emphasis on the love of God is different from the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant said you have to love God with all your heart and soul and strength. But see, nobody could. Because the law was given to show us our inadequacies. It was given to show us that we couldn't measure up. But the New Testament now says, God loves you. And you begin to realize God loves me with all of his heart, soul, and strength. But it also says, you love your neighbor as yourself. See, if you can't love yourself with the love that God has for you, you have nothing to give. You can't give what you don't have. You can't lead where you've not been. You know, when I started teaching and preaching along this, people would criticize me and attack me. And they say, oh, Brother Ed, that's wrong. Jesus said that you should deny yourself and take up his cross. You shouldn't be teaching people that they need to love themselves. Well, we should love what God loves, shouldn't we? Well, God loves you. And if you're going to love what God loves, you're going to learn to love what God loves, and that's you. See, that religious spirit will get a hold of you. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. You want to go buy a new car, and that religious spirit say, Deny yourself. Why do you think you need a new car? Why do you think you're so special? Why you can get by on a used car? Why do you need a new car? And so you feel condemned and you feel, okay, I, I guess I'll just get an old beat-up used car. And then you go try to find an old beat-up used car, and that same religious spirit grabs you again and says, why do you think you're worthy of a car? Why do you need a car? What's so special about you? Can't you get to work on a bike? Don't you know the church could use all that money? And you're wasting it on yourself, you selfish thing. So you go to buy a bike, and that same religious spirit grabs you again. And says, what makes you so special that you need a bike? Why, it's wrong with your feet. You've been walking anyway. It's good for you. And so you feel guilty. And besides the church, and missions could use the money that you're going to spend on a bike. Just get a pair of shoes. So you go buy a pair of shoes, that same religious spirit. Why do you need shoes? See, it never lets you go. You go buy a Coke, and that same religious spirit says, why do you need a Coke? Why there are people in China that don't have a Bible, and for the price of a Coke, you could buy three Bibles in China. You could just have water. And so you feel guilty, and you get a glass of water, and that same religious devil says, why do you need water? You can swallow your own spit. You see, where does it stop? God doesn't care if you have a new car. Most of you are going to be in culture shock when you get to heaven anyway. God doesn't mind if you have a new car or a bike or new shoes. That's not, not, that's not the issue. When Jesus said, deny yourself, what Jesus was actually saying to the people is, you can't make yourself holy, you can't make yourself righteous, and you certainly can't earn your own salvation. And I'm going to do that for you, and you're going to take up the same cross that I, I'm going to die on for you, and that will be the message that you tell others what I did for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You see, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, he says, abide, faith, hope, and love. He says, but the greatest of these three is love. Now, why does he say that love is the greatest of the three? I'll tell you why. Because faith and hope by itself cannot produce love. But love all by itself can produce faith and hope. Because just look in the natural. When a couple falls in love and they come together and they have a relationship and, and they begin to declare their love for one another, they're actually saying, I'm opening up my heart. I'm making myself vulnerable to you. I trust you. I believe you aren't going to abuse me and hurt me and take advantage of me. And trust is another word for faith. And what gave birth to faith? It was love. 
And then they think about a future together, about having a family and a home and children and all of that. Well, see, that's hope. But see, love gave birth to hope as well. So when Paul says the greatest of these three, faith, hope, and love, the greatest is love. Why? Because love all by itself can produce faith and produce hope. But faith and hope can't produce love because faith works by love. Do you get that? Amen? Hallelujah. And so the other thing Paul is saying, he said, abide faith, hope, and love. See, whether you realize it or not, you create an atmosphere around yourself. And, and when you're producing an atmosphere of faith, hope, and love, it becomes contagious to other people. Have you ever walked into someone's house where the husband and the wife had a knockdown, drag out fight, but you were not there, and when you walked into the home, you felt the tension? I mean, you felt the atmosphere. You, I mean, it just, it just didn't feel right. See, we create an atmosphere. There are people that I enjoy being around. I enjoy being around Pastor Walker. He's uplifting. He's encouraging. He, the Word of God flows freely from his heart, through his mouth. And, and it's just a great atmosphere. It's an enjoyable presence to be around. I enjoy being around positive people. I enjoy being around people that know God. It just rubs off on it. It's a great experience. And then there are those people that you're around and you feel like you need a bath after you leave them. Amen? My home, when we lived in South Africa, and, and where we live now, I, I've, I've had people come into my home and felt the atmosphere of love and peace in, in my home. I had a guy come to fix the air conditioner. Our air conditioner was broken. It was like 99 degrees in the house in South Florida. It was boiling hot. And the guy stood in the foyer, and he goes, I just love the atmosphere here. And I said, I don't. That's why I hired you. It's too hot. He goes, I'm not talking about that. He said, I, he said, there's something here. He says, it's just so peaceful and relaxing. See, he felt the presence of God. And the Bible talks about letting the peace of God reign in your house. Letting it rule in your house. And this is what Paul is saying. You'll abide faith, hope, and love. Every dog I have ever owned... We have brought to the vet, and we've had vets tell us, if there was ever a Christian dog, this is one. <laughs> Our vet in South Africa said, if I ever met born-again dogs, and one was a Rottweiler, they said, these dogs are born again. <laughs> I have a Labrador at home. She's so loving and kind and sweet. And, 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 and the vet just loves her. They said, we've never met a dog so loving and kind. You know what? Your dogs, your pets will be affected by those atmospheres. Amen. I got sweet roaches, but I tell them to go. <laughs> See, one time I was flying, I, when I lived here, I did a, uh, some meetings in, in, in Swaziland, and it was about 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, and I had to fly back to Joburg. And, it, and from Manzini to Joburg, it's only like a 20-minute flight. It's not, not long. And... Um, and I'm sitting, I had the aisle seat, and the guy next to me, he was sitting by the window. And uh, I don't like to tell people that I'm a, I'm a preacher, and it's not because I'm ashamed of the gospel. I found that sometimes people get an attack of spiritual arthritis, you know, when they find out you're a Christian or you're a minister. Have you ever noticed that? You know, they find out, and then they start apologizing. Uh, oh, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm sorry, I, I, mean to, so I hope I didn't offend you. Which I always found interesting, because the Bible says love's not easily offended, but apparently most Christians are. And so we get chatting, and, he, and I find out that he's a well-known stand-up comedian in South Africa. He's got DVDs and, and CDs, and he's got movies and stuff out. You know, very well-known guy. I, I didn't recognize him. I didn't know who he was at the time. And he was in Swaziland at a businessman's convention in one of the Sun Hotels there. He was the entertainment. And so finally he asked me, you know, what, what did I do? What was I doing in this part of the world? Because he could hear from my accent I wasn't South African. And so I, 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 you know, I didn't lie to him. I told him I was a man of God and I was a missionary and I lived here and I was preaching the gospel. And I felt so bad for him because it was the fastest attack of spiritual arthritis I'd ever seen. I mean, he got service and he had just ordered a beer from the stewardess. And, and he's like sending Morse code messages with his eyes to the stewardess, you know, don't bring me the beer, there's a preacher here. And 
I think she thought he was having a fit and needed it quick. And so she comes down the aisle, she hands it to me, and I take it and I open it and hand it to him. And he looks shocked, and I know for a moment he thought I turned his beer into water. (laughs) You know, drinking a beer at 7 o'clock in the morning, you know, that's just being a pretty good sinner, all right? Now, some Christians would have made it a big, they would have made it a big deal. I mean, I know some Christians, you probably do too. They'd have pounced on the guy. Why are you, you an alcoholic? I can cast the devil out of you. And the poor guy would have needed six more beers just to survive the flight with that type of Christian. I began to share with him the gospel. I began to explain to him how much God loved him and loved us. And even though that we were sinners and we deserved hell. What, how good God was and what God did on our behalf so, because he wanted to have a relationship with us. And as I began to explain the love of God to him, his eyes misted up, a tear rolled down his cheek, and he looked at me. He said, Ed, I've met six born-again Christians in my lifetime, and you're the first one that ever told me God loved me. This is one of the reasons why this message is so passionate on my heart. Because the Bible says faith works by love. It doesn't work by your love. It doesn't. I've been taught that, you know. No, it doesn't. And if you go read it in context, you'll see that Paul is actually saying that when you understand that God loves you perfectly just the way you are, not the way you think you need to be, that God loves you like that perfectly, you can trust the one that loves you like that. And so when people hear about the love of God, they begin to realize that they can come to Him with all their baggage, all their junk, all their past, all their stuff. They can come. And God will receive them just the way they are. But the beautiful thing about God's love is it doesn't leave you the way it found you. It doesn't leave you the way it found you. It changes, transforms, impacts your heart. See, that's why I was telling you earlier, the gospel, it's not about your past. God took care of your past on the cross. He took care of your past before you knew Jesus and he took care of all the junk you did since you've known Jesus. Are you listening to me? See, God said, I'm not going to hold their sins against them. God said, I won't even remember their sin. I won't remember. Christians are telling God stuff that he forgot. He doesn't remember it. Amen? See, the prodigal came home And was thrown a party. See, the gospel is about your future. Jesus told the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. He removed the condemnation of God off of her. He said, neither will I condemn you. Now go sin no more. See, if he had told her to go sin no more without removing the condemnation of God, she wouldn't have been able to. But he removed the condemnation of God. Removed, brought her out from under judgment. Showed her mercy. See, Proverbs 16, verse 6 says, Love, mercy, and truth purges the heart of iniquity. And see, that woman that was caught in an act of adultery, he loved her regardless of what she had done. He showed her mercy when the law required her, her death and punishment. He showed her, he treated her better than she deserved. And as a result of love and mercy, she revealed, she experienced truth. And truth will always set you free. And that's why he said, now go and sin no more. Jesus said in Matthew 9, he told the Pharisees, go figure out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He was telling the Pharisees, I'm going to bring sinners to repentance by using mercy. I'll bring them to God by showing them what's in the heart of God. And the heart of God is full of mercy and compassion. That's how I'm going to bring them back to God. Pharisees wanted people to make sacrifices and make commitments. And you'll hear that all the, day, all the time. People telling you, you've got to make a sacrifice, you've got to make a commitment. Let me tell you, Jesus made the sacrifice for all of us. There's no more sacrifices that are needed. He made the sacrifice. Hallelujah. So the gospel isn't about your past, it's about your future. The thief hanging on the cross, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in paradise. See, Jesus was always pointing people to their future in God. It wasn't about their mistakes. See, your mistakes do not disqualify you because Jesus has qualified you. Amen? You know, hallelujah, praise God for that. You know... I never did see that man on the plane again. I was just telling you about it. Never, I never did see him. And uh, a friend of mine in South Africa heard me tell the story and knew who the man was and was in a business meeting with a man a few years later. 
And at the end of the meeting, he went up to him. He said, do you ever remember meeting an American preacher on a flight from Swaziland to Manzini? The guy stopped and said, do I remember? I'll never forget it as long as I live. That man changed my life. I didn't change his life. It was Jesus. But listen to me. See, I didn't have enough time to teach him the principles of faith. Because it was a 20-minute flight and he'd spoken half the time. I didn't have enough time to preach the principles of hope. I had just enough time to tell him about how much God loved him. And I knew that if he would believe and trust in God's love for him, that that love would produce faith and hope in his life. Amen? A preacher that I know um, in America had gone to Hawaii many years ago to do a conference. And because of the time change and, and, and just the jet lag and everything, he woke up at three, you know, around 3 in the morning or so, and he went downstairs to the little diner to the coffee shop and got himself a cup of coffee and a, and a donut. And as he was sitting there, in walk a group of prostitutes that had obviously been working the streets that night. And they came in and they sat near him. And he overheard one of the prostitutes, and I think her name was Gladys. And she said, you know, tomorrow's going to be my 39th birthday. And the other prostitute said, so what do you want us to do about it? Yeah, blah, blah. And she said, well, I'm just telling you. And they had their coffee and their cigarettes and they left. And so this preacher went to the owner of the diner and he said, do these women come in here all the time at this time? He said, like clockwork they come in here. When they finish on the streets, they come in here, have a cigarette, cup of coffee, and they go home. He said, well, I heard that Gladys said tomorrow's going to be her birthday. Would it be okay if we threw her a surprise birthday party? And the owner said, well, yeah, there's nothing going on. And his wife said, she was in the back, she says, you know what, Gladys, she's one of the good ones. And I'll make her a cake. And so they said, great. So the preacher went and bought decorations and everything, got there early, you know, and set up the decorations. And I think they invited some homeless people and got some other people involved. And, and then all of a sudden when the prostitutes walked in and Gladys walked into the little diner, they shouted, happy birthday, Gladys. And they bring this beautiful chocolate cake out with candles all lit. And they put it in front of her. And Gladys is stunned and surprised and shocked. And she can't believe this is happening. And, and they hand her a knife. And they said, you know, as she blew out the candles and, and, and they hand her a knife. And they said, you know, cut the cake, Gladys. And, and she shook. And she said, no, please, please don't make me cut this cake. Nobody's ever, ever done anything like this for me. Can I take this home and show my mom? And they said, yes, you can, no problem, feel free. And, and, and the pastor stood up and he says, Let me ha let's just have a word of prayer and just ask God to bless Gladys on this day of her birth and, and that we're celebrating. He had this wonderful prayer of blessing to her and everybody had bowed their head. And then when he said amen, the owner of the coffee shop, he was in the back and he yelled, Hey, you didn't tell me you're a preacher. And he said, what kind of church do you go to? And the, and the pastor, at a moment of inspiration, said, I go to a church that would throw a birthday party for a prostitute at 3 o'clock in the morning. And the guy yelled back and said, nah, you don't. I'd have gone to a church like that. <laughs> That's the kind of church Jesus is. That's the church of Jesus Christ. That would throw a birthday party for a prostitute. At 3 o'clock in the morning to demonstrate in a tangible way how much he loves and how much he cares for them. Amen. You see, my friend, the gospel isn't about your past. It's about your future. God's taking care of your past. He took care of your past before you knew Christ. He took care of your past since you've known Christ. God isn't holding your sins against you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, he says, To it that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not holding their sins against them. One of the reasons people ask me, they said, Ed, you've seen a lot of miracles. You've seen blind eyes open up, cripples. You've seen the dead raised. You've seen a lot of things. They think I have some kind of a secret. I don't have any secret at all. I just understand what the gospel is about. I know that God isn't holding the sins against people. And if God isn't holding the sins against them, there's nothing preventing them from experiencing his best. Nothing. The only blockage is in their mind. Like Paul said, at one time you thought you were enemy to God, but God wasn't your enemy. God decided to be your friend. When I was in elementary school, and this happens I think to most of us, you know, one day a little girl slid a note across to me. Today it might be a text. See, we older folks remember writing. 
You younger people just tight. And so I opened the note and it said, do you like me? And then it said, yes and no. And of course, when you're young, you're stupid. And they had to give instructions. Circle one. And, 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 and when I circled yes and sent it back, she sent me the note because she was telling me, I like you. And now she finds out I like her. So that's the beginning of a relationship. Are you seeing this? And the beginning of a friendship turns into a relationship. And, 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 and from friendship goes relationship and relationship develops into love. See, Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. And Jesus came to tell us, that not only did God like us, that he loved us, but see, he's got to get you into friendship to bring you into relationship. Does that make sense? See, Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Now, some people argue and say, well, that's what the Pharisees said about Jesus. It says that he was a wine-bibber and a glutton too, and we know that he wasn't. And so he's not a friend. But Jesus himself said, I lay my life down for my friends. And see, no one was born again. No one was made righteous. So his friends were sinners. And see, Jesus made a decision. See, in Jewish culture, when you sit down to have a meal with somebody, it's an invitation to friendship. And that's why the Pharisees were always angry when Jesus was sitting eating with the sinners and the tax collectors because they understood in their culture you're inviting them into friendship. But see, you have to have friendship before you have relationship. And Jesus was inviting them into a relationship with God because he knew that God already loved them. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't know about you, but I got blessed this morning. I could lay hands on myself and go down right now. If I can figure out how to catch myself, I may do it one day. Would everyone, would you mind bowing, bowing your head and closing your eyes for just a minute? I don't know everybody here. I know a few people since I've been here. But if you've come into this building this morning, and maybe you do not know Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior. You don't realize and understand that God loves you just the way you are, but it's His love that changes you. And impacts you. Maybe you didn't know that God has already forgiven you of all your sins, past, present, and future. That he's already forgiven you. In the book of Acts, when the apostles proclaimed the gospel, they told people all the time that their sins had been forgiven. I, I, I wouldn't be preaching the gospel if I didn't tell you your sins had been forgiven. You, maybe you've never been born again. Jesus talked about being born again. It's, being, it's actually being a new person on the inside. A new creation in Christ. It's believing and trusting in the love that God has for you and how it was demonstrated on the cross that you believe Jesus died for your sins and was raised again and that He's the Son of God. If you've never been born again or you've never known or experienced that love, if God brought me all the way from America just for you to get your attention, to help you understand about the gospel and God's love and desire to have a relationship that he likes you and he wants you to understand not only does he like you that he loves you and that his love will change you if you've never been born again you've never been saved you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ would you slip up your hand and give me the honor and a privilege of praying with you this morning so that you could know Jesus Christ thank you, thank you hold up your hand if you want to be saved thank you, thank you thank you, thank you, thank you Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you over there. Glory to God. Thank you, young lady. Thank you, sweetheart. Hallelujah. Over there. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. If you're here and you say, Brother Ed, I, I, I have been born again. I have been saved. But I kind of identify with the prodigal son. I, or maybe you're a prodigal daughter. I, I'm not where I need to be. I drifted away. I got away. I got a bit selfish. I got distracted. I got involved in stuff that I probably sh I know I, it was wrong. I shouldn't be involved in. But I realized this morning that God still loves me. He hasn't given up on me. And that I can still come home. And that you said earlier in your message that God loves me at my very worst. 
And, and if that's true, I want to be restored in the love of God. I want to know my Heavenly Father again. I need to come home. I need to feel His embrace and His love. I, I just need to come home again. I don't need to be involved in what I've been involved in. I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. And I need His help to walk free from my past so I can live in the newness of life. If you identify the prodigal son or, or your prodigal daughter, if that's you, raise up your hand also. Let me minister to you and pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Thank you. Praise God. Let me ask you one, one more invitation. You know, maybe you're born again. And you say, you know, Brother Ed, I was born again. I gave my heart to Jesus, and, and I've made some mistakes, and I had some failures in my life. And, and um, maybe some preacher or another Christian, some, somebody tried to convince you that what you had done cannot be forgiven by God, that uh, you, you've, you've, you've gone too deep into sin, and that God can't forgive you, and God won't accept you. And uh, at times, maybe you struggle with this fear that when you die, heaven will not be your home, that you're going to go to hell because God can't forgive you. I want you to know this morning, please listen to me, I want you to know that's a lie from the pit of hell. If you had committed the unpardonable sin, I can guarantee you, you wouldn't be in church. And the enemy has just lied and tried to deceive you. But the Spirit of God this morning wants you to be restored in the joy of your salvation. And He wants to break the spirit of fear that's become a stronghold in your mind that's made you feel that God couldn't forgive you or wouldn't forgive you or that when you die, you actually may go to hell because of something you've done that you don't believe God can forgive. That's a lie. God wants you to know that's a lie. He wants you to know He's already forgiven you, but He wants to set you free from that fear and that torment. If that's you and you've struggled with that, would you lift up your hand so we can minister to you also this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, bless you, thank you. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. All right, I'm going to ask you to open up your eyes. I'm going to ask everybody, would you quietly and very reverentially stand to your feet? Stand to your feet. And if you lifted your hands on any one of those invitations, I want you to come down to the front right now. I want to minister to you and pray for you right here. I want you to come down. If you raised your hand on any one of those invitations, I want you to come down to the front. If you want to get born again, I want you to come down to the front. If you're a prodigal son and daughter, I want you to come down to the front. If you want to get broken, that fear, that lie from the devil that you can't make heaven your home, I want you to come. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. If you didn't raise your hand and you felt like you should have raised your hand, well, just come on now. We'll wait for you. Just come on now. Just come now. If you didn't raise your hand but you know you should have, just come now. Just come now. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, young ladies. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, sir. Thank you for coming. Glory to God. Amen. You know what's happening right now in heaven? Jesus said that when one sinner repents, all heaven rejoices. All heaven rejoices. Do you know that because you've made a decision this morning to trust in the goodness and the love that God has for you, do you know right now heaven is shouting? and, and, And listen, let me explain it to you. Do you remember when Zambia won the World Soccer Cup of Nations, was it? Do you remember how excited everybody was? And, and how everybody was screaming and shouting in the stadium? Do you know that's boring compared to what's happening in heaven right now because of the decision you're made? Do you know they're worshiping and shouting and praising God? It's right now, 12-15, December 2nd, 2012. Now, when you get to heaven, hopefully not real soon, okay? You know, unless Jesus comes back. But when you get to heaven, the first angel you see, grab him and say, what were you doing December 2nd, 2012 at 12-15, Lusaka time? What were you doing? And you know, he's going to smile. He's going to look at you. He said, we had a party. We shouted. We worshiped. We rejoiced because you trusted in God's love and God's goodness. We celebrated. Now, if that angel looks at you and says, Well, Dale, I don't know what I was doing. You report him to the Lord for goofing off and tell him he missed a good part. Now, all of you that have come, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a very simple prayer. If my wife was here, she had to go. I would look at her and say, Lori, I love you as a demonstration of how I want you to pray. Because when I say to my wife, I love her, it's something I'm saying from my heart. And I want you to pray meaningless 
from your heart. Because everything you heard this morning came from the heart of God. Everything you heard came from the heart of God. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer, but you're not going to pray by yourself because your family right behind you is going to pray for you. Your whole family is going to join you in this prayer. And they're going to help you pray. All right? Let us bow our head and close our eyes. And everybody, family, let's all pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, I believe you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. I believe you went to the cross to pay for all of my sins, past, present, and future. I believe, Jesus, that God raised you from the dead, that you are alive forevermore. And I receive you as my Lord and my Savior into my heart and into my life. I give you absolute total control. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for restoring me. Bringing me into fellowship and relationship with my Heavenly Father. Thank you, Jesus, for showing me how much God loves me. Father, I can love you now. Because you loved me first. And you will never stop. Because you are the Alpha and the Omega. You will always love me. Thank you, Jesus, for making me a new creation in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that you said you'll never leave me nor forsake me. Thank you, you will be with me always. Even unto the end of the world. Thank you, Jesus for loving me just as I am and I believe the love of God will change me forever amen now let me pray for you a quick prayer for you father thank you for all these people that have come thank you for the decision that they've made thank you for those that have come that were struggling with fear and torment that they've lost their salvation or heaven wouldn't be home we thank you that fear has been broken by the love of God that stronghold has been pulled down and devil you've been exposed as a liar and you will never ever again rob them of their peace and the joy of their salvation now father I pray for each each person in this line and I ask you Lord that you would send them friends and probably those friends are sitting right here in this congregation that will be friends like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego that will surround them, encourage them, uplift them and never allow them to bow their knee to any form of compromise or to a false idol or a false god they will always keep them focused on who Jesus is and no matter what fire, what trial, what tribulation they're going through they will keep their eyes focused on Jesus because they know Jesus is with them and he promised he'll never leave them nor forsake them thank you Lord now You that have come, I want to ask you a quick question. Turn to somebody next to you. Give them a big hug. Tell them you love them. Tell them God loves them. The love of God's been shed abroad in your heart. Amen. Amen. And do you see this lovely lady over here? I think this lady in the pink. This lovely lady over here. She's going to take you to a place of prayer. I'm going to bless you and give you some thanks. So will you follow her? Will you all follow her? And congregation, let's give them a hand clap as they go. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Now tonight, we're going to have a healing service. And you know what? Let me tell you something. I've been privileged and blessed. I've seen blind eyes open up, deaf ears, cripples walk. We've seen the dead raised. But you know what excites me the most is what we're seeing, what we saw here this morning. Because it took Jesus going. See, God healed people and raised people from the dead way before the cross. But it took Jesus going to the cross and being raised from the dead to to accomplish what you saw here this morning. And see, Jesus said this. He said, you know, you're going to do the works that I do and you're going to do greater works than I do. Well, see, no one was ever born again under the earthly ministry of Jesus. But they are born again under the ministry of the body of Christ, which is us. And, and, And what you saw is the greater works. Healing is really nothing. It's easy for God to do. It took the death and burial and resurrection of his son to accomplish what you saw here this morning for people to get born again. Amen? So that's the greater work that we just saw. But the works we're going to see tonight, we're going to see people healed, delivered, and set free and blessed. And I'm going to ask you, you know people in your community or family or neighbors who are sick and are suffering. I'm going to ask you to go first, before you see them, pray that God would touch their hearts and open their minds and to go and invite them to the service. 
I'm also going to ask you to go invite people and, and bring them Bring them, to the, bring them to the service. If they don't know Jesus, let them come here. You know, there are prodigal sons and prodigal daughters out there. I'm going to tell you right now, if you've got every prodigal son and every prodigal daughter in Lusaka, if you got them all together, this building couldn't handle everybody. You'd have one of the biggest churches, not only in the nation, but in the whole world. That's how many we have out there. And you know what? God loves them. God loves them. And you know one of the reasons why they're not coming back home? The reason why they're not coming to God is because they're not running into the father heart, the, the, the hug and the kiss of their father. They're running into the critical other brother who's reminding them of their past, who's reminding them of their failures and the mistakes. Let me tell you something. You heard me this morning. The gospel isn't about your past. It's about your future. People may, may never forgive you, but God has. And don't let the opinions of people who know you and know your mistakes stop you from coming to a God who has chosen to never remember your sin. He said he took our sins from the far as east as to the west, thrown them into a sea of forgetfulness. And if you ever go there, there's a sign that says no fishing. No fishing. See, God doesn't remember your past failures and your mistakes and your sins. And you ought to forgive yourself in the same way. And put it behind you. Because it's not who you are. Who you are is who you are in Christ. You have a new identity. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. God loves you just the way you are. But it's his love that will change you into his dear son. Amen.